Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom from Jerusalem. This is Watchman's Talk, a series of conversations with Israeli security experts and practitioners. And our special guest uh, today is Dr. Yuval Steinitz, Israel's uh, energy minister and formerly a finance minister, minister for uh, strategic and intelligence affairs, and uh, a chairman of the Israeli parliament or Knesset Defense and the Foreign Affairs uh, Committee. Dr. Steinitz, Minister Steinitz, welcome aboard. And the most important thing, formally, uh, uh, a lecturer, senior lecturer to philosophy. Okay, uh, philosophy is part of our conversation. Okay. We'll try to get. I, I used to be a serious person once before <laughs> before I, I enter politics. Yeah, so so I should mention that uh, uh, Minister Stanitz's uh, PhD um, is in philosophy. He's also the author of a best-selling primer on uh, philosophy. Many Israeli students uh, have used it uh, throughout uh, the years. Israel does not have a secretary of the Navy. But if there was such a position, you would have been a candidate for it because apparently uh, one of your personal uh, pursuits or hobbies is Israel's maritime domain. And um, our viewers uh, should be reminded that Israel uh, has land borders in the north, in the east, and in the south, and its western border is the Mediterranean. Why, to your mind, uh, should Israel develop uh, its maritime domain? Is it security, energy, or both? Look, uh, there are many reasons. First, Israel is a little country, almost like an uh, island in the Mediterranean. And the only approach, I mean, you can approach Israel. I mean, now we are enlarging the peace uh, uh, the peace circle around us, so things are not changing. But historically, uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago, the only connection with the world was through and above the Mediterranean for, um, uh, for, for commercial uh, um, uh, for import and export, mainly by ship through the Haifa and Ashdod ports. So the Mediterranean is very important for Israel, both as a main uh, uh, connection uh, with the world, also because Israel is so little, I thought that Israel have to create a, a strategical depth in the Mediterranean because the land is so limited and so threatened by uh, enemies from all over. Lately, in the last uh, 10 or 11 years, it's become even more important, the Mediterranean for us, because uh, we were caught by surprise to find very large uh, natural gas reserve offshore Israel in our exclusive economic water. And the first one was Tamar that was discovered, the Tamar gas field in 2009, then Leviathan, the biggest, uh, one of the biggest uh, uh, um, uh, um, gas fields in the world, uh, discovered in 2010 and then Karishtanin in 2011. So now most of our energy is coming from the Mediterranean. Uh, this year, more than, um, let me see, more than 70% of our electricity already produced from natural gas, which enable us to reduce air pollution as well. Let, let's, but this is significant. We'll come back, of course, to, to energy and the Mediterranean aspect of energy. But uh, let's concentrate on what you uh, termed strategic depth. 
You mean that uh, because uh, of Israel's proximity to hostile borders, uh, an invasion could take over, for instance, air bases, or if not, a missile barrage could take the air force out of commission, and you would recommend that Israel uh, put more of its power in or under the sea. Yeah, when I was um, a very new member of the Knesset 20 years ago, almost 21, I wrote an article in Marachot, the, the, the IDF main uh, uh, bulletin, uh, bulletin uh, the sea as Israel's strategic depths. And I thought that we have to build our navy and to enable the Israeli navy also a massive firepower from sea into land. In case that our um, um, that our, in case that our air bases will be under barrage of rockets and missiles from all over, or for any other reason, I thought it's important to have some capacity. Uh, for example, ships with thousands of tactical but very accurate and uh, massive um, uh, uh, missiles and rockets or other means in order to enlarge and to create some uh, depths strategic depths for Israel. I'm speaking now on the tactical level even. But uh, let me just mention that uh, today uh, we are really threatened by rocket and missiles, mainly from Lebanon, by Hezbollah, but also from Syria, also from Gaza. But we have managed to create the best and most uh, sophisticated missile defense in the world. So today... Iron uh, Dome or Aero? Iron Dome, uh, um, uh, um, uh, David Sling, uh, the Aero 2 and Aero 3. So we have the capacity to intercept missiles from almost all ranges, including long-range ballistic missiles that might come from Iran or from Iraq, medium-range rockets, heavy rockets that might come from Syria or Lebanon, and uh, shorter-range rockets that might come from Gaza. And the capacity is, is usually the rate of success is beyond 90%. This is significant. Just 20, 30 years ago, it was inconceivable that a country will develop rocket that can intercept another rocket but in the skies, but it's already proven. This is missile defense, but you emphasize the word tactical, and obviously there is also the tactical dimension of having weapon systems, um, either in submarines or in some other um, surface uh, uh, ships uh, going around the Mediterranean. Uh, can Israel deter Iran either from the sea, from under the sea, or uh, anywhere else? I think it's less relevant, speaking about the tactical level, tactical warfare, it's less relevant to Iran. The range is too long. The main deterrence vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis Iran is, of course, the mighty Israeli Air Force with airplanes like F-15 and F-16 that have the range. And, of course, we can refuel, but they have the range even without refueling. And we have other capacities as well. So what is the use of the submarines, which uh, have become quite an issue in recent years? Well, I'm unable to elaborate about everything. But, you know, the submarines are very important from a strategical point of view, also for a tactical point of view. Yeah, they have importance, including uh, for intelligence, but also they are considered to be, to give us some strategical depth. 
but I don't want to elaborate about this any too one, much. One of your uh, responsibilities uh, as Minister of Energy is atomic energy. And Israel has uh, an atomic energy commission. Of course, uh, the person in charge of everything is the prime minister, but uh, you are probably his right-hand man regarding atomic energy. So I would like to ask you two questions. First of all, um, because you are obviously knowledgeable, how is the Iranian atomic energy problem uh, risking Israel now? Oh, that's, that's, that's I would say, the main existential uh, threat to Israel. Iran is aiming of uh, building nuclear weapons, no doubt about that the only reason that they built this extremely expensive uh, nuclear uh, facilities uh, in Iran. They were trying to uh, get nuclear uh, weapons, and uh, fortunately, we managed to stop them or to delay them until now. I can tell you, I think with confident, without the Israeli uh, uh, campaign against Iran uh, nuclear efforts, without Israel convincing the United States and the rest of the world uh, uh, to, to, to tackle the risk, yeah, to mitigate Iran, Iran might have had nuclear weapons already seven or eight years ago. What, what um, uh, is on the menu here when you say Israel managed uh, to, uh, to stop or to limit? Are we talking about uh, cyber clandestine warfare uh, or um, other uh, or diplomacy? Um, how do you rate the various uh, efforts? What's most important among the three it's here. difficult to say what is more important. Uh, diplomacy is very important. Uh, tough sanctions on Iran. This is the second round. The very effective sanctions that put by President Trump are the second round. The first round uh, was of, of, of heavy sanctions were put by President Obama and, and, and the international community in 2010, 2011. And even before, even in 2003, when the world finally realized that the Iranians are trying to build nuclear weapons in order to attack or to intimidate Israel, the Middle East, and even Europe, there was a, uh, in the initial stage of negotiation with Iran by the three European powers, Britain, France, and Germany, and the Iranians did stop or did delay their uh, nuclear progress for a year and a year and a half, even then. But there were also reports about cyber attacks, uh, Stuxent, uh, Olympic Games. So I'm unable to elaborate too much about this, but of course, Israel have wonderful uh, intelligence uh, capacity, community, and we shall do our best in order to stop or to delay our enemies, including Iran, from developing uh, many kinds of weapons, including uh, nuclear weapons. I think that Israel is not alone. It was, uh, I'm speaking, uh, uh, not on my own knowledge, but what, what I can read in the international media. It was said that the uh, United States, Britain, other countries were also struggling to stop or to delay the Iranian nuclear effort. But yes, there was a clandestine campaign, and there was a diplomatic and economic pressure on Iran. Uh, together, the situation is still very grave, because they are not far away. They are only a year and a half or two years if they decide to move to the bomb. It will take them between a year and two years to develop nuclear weapon. This shouldn't be the 
final status, but they didn't develop it yet. And they could have developed it without the campaign against them, uh, without the pressure that was uh, put on them. They could have developed nuclear weapons, I think, seven or eight years ago. Still today, the situation is very serious. Uh, our demand from the world is to put enormous pressure on Iran, not just in order to freeze their nuclear progress or their nuclear program, but to dismantle it, to rule it back, not to leave it as it is today, because they are too close to nuclear capacity. And believe me, if Iran will get the bomb in a year or two from now or three years from now, it's not just Israel. Europe will be intimidated. They already develop long-range ballistic missiles much beyond the range of Israel or the entire Middle East that can reach Rome, that can reach Berlin, that can reach uh, Central Europe. And if, unfortunately, the very sad scenario uh, that uh, we saw in North Korea will repeat itself in Iran, this will be a new era, not just to Israel but and the Middle East, but to, to Europe, and uh, later on in a few years' time also to the United States. But the North Korean scenario which you mentioned is not a North Korean strike on South Korea or Japan or, or an American base, but using it to intimidate, to coerce. This is what Iran will do. It will have its proxies, Hamas and Hezbollah, attack Israel while it gives them cover? I don't know. You can never trust the Iranians. You know, this can become a suicidal uh, regime. In the past, uh, Iranian leaders said that they are ready to sacrifice one million Iranians in order to win the war against Saddam Hussein. So just imagine how many millions Iranians they are ready to sacrifice in order to win a war against Israel or against the West. So first, you can never trust such kind of uh, extremist Islamic fanatic regime. And second, even to intimidate Israel, the moderate Arab states, Europe uh, with nuclear threat from such unpredictable regime like Iran, this is, this is totally a new situation. We shouldn't get there. The world will be a, 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 a much more dangerous place if the Ayatollahs will get the nuclear bomb. There is also another danger, which, of course, uh, gives uh, an added impetus to what you say, another proliferation risk. If the Iranians have it, the Saudis will want it, the Turks will want it, the Egyptians will want it. And I would like to remind you of one of your political achievements. When you were in charge of the Knesset Foreign Affairs and uh, Defense Committee, you published a report after Libya was found to uh, have had a very active nuclear project, which the British and the Americans and perhaps others knew about, but Israel did not. And this shook up the intelligence community here. Are we in danger of someone else in our neighborhood, while Iran is doing what it does, someone else considered a moderate country, a Sunni country, also pursuing such a route, and Israel being on the same side um, in the American orbit, doing nothing about it. Uh, so let me first try to correct you a little bit, if you allow me. Please. Uh, uh, what happened in Libya? Uh, the Libyans were only starting to develop nuclear program. 
Uh, it was uh, discovered by the British MI6, by the British uh, Secret Services, and then uh, Israel was notified, and also United States, and uh, Libya dismantled their infrastructure. The Israeli intelligence community was not shocked at all. I was shocked. I was then the chairman of the Defense and Foreign Affairs Committee. They were shocked by your report. Yeah, yeah, I was shocked, and suddenly it occurred to my mind for a variety of reasons without many facts, that not only Iran is engaged in nuclear project, but Syria is trying to develop nuclear bomb, and unfortunately, nobody see it, we didn't see it, the United States, Britain, nobody noticed. So I wrote a secret report about the Syrian nuclear threat that I believe that it's very likely that it's already developing. In the beginning, the IDF intelligence, they disregard it. We see nothing. We have very good coverage of Syria. Fortunately, after many warnings and letters of warnings to Prime Minister Sharon and to the head of the intelligence services, the Mossad, led by Mayor Dagan and his deputy, Tamir Pardo, they decided to take my warning seriously. And a year and a half later on, they did found the secret nuclear reactor in Deir Azur in north of Syria and it was destroyed by the Israeli Air Force. So this is first correction. Second, now to your initial question. Yeah, I think that you are certainly right. I wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post, I think in 2014 or 2015, warning that a bad agreement with Iran will encourage rather than discourage nuclear proliferation. Because if countries like Gulf countries, like Arab countries, Turkey, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, you, you already, uh, other countries in the vicinity, if countries will realize that Iran can park too close to nuclear weapons, then those countries will tell themselves, we have to counterbalance Iran with our own nuclear program. And if the world allow Iran to enrich uranium, uh, the world cannot tell other countries in the vicinity that they are unallowed, that so the world cannot trust them in reaching uranium have, under similar restrictions. So we will have a regional nuclear brinkmanship, not only exactly. a bilateral uh, problem between Israel and Iran, Iraq and Iran or others, but a multipolar uh, nuclear region. First, I don't want to make any comment about us in this regard, but uh, speaking about the wider region, certainly. If Iran will get nuclear, or even now, when they are parking too close to nuclear, to military nuclear capacity, I'm confident that countries are already planning how to follow Iran. Uh, therefore, it's extremely important uh, um, that the world will put, will continue to put enormous economic pressure on Iran, a valid military threat that if they're running to the bomb, the world will prevent it, even by brute force, and will force the Iranian that if they want to save their economy, if they want to save their country, they have not just to free their nuclear program, but to rule it back and to dismantle it. Because this is the only way uh, uh, to, uh, uh, come the, uh, to, 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 to heal the region and uh, to reduce the tension that uh, is now all over the region. And as I said, if not, 
Europe will be sorry about it, not just Israel. Declassified official American documents from the uh, Johnson and Nixon administrations in 1968 and 69 uh, revealed some years ago that there were agreements between then Ambassador Rabin and uh, Assistant Secretary Warnke at the Pentagon and then Prime Minister Golda Meir and President Nixon regarding Israel's nuclear option or nuclear potential. And that is not to display and not to test anything that Israel can have. And this is the official Israeli policy. We don't have anything, but we don't want to say that we have nothing so, because we do want to deter. Uh, has this policy outlived its usefulness? Should Israel be more transparent? No comment. It's your speculation or your knowledge of history. I, it's very interesting to listen to you. I can say only one thing about it. We have a crystal clear policy of ambiguity. Uh, we are not going to, uh, uh, to, to end it. But looking back, what was the usefulness of uh, this ambiguity? Uh, the Arabs have been deterred because, uh, as you say, Saddam Hussein had his... Uh, I'm, not going, I'm not going to comment about it or to analyze it. I think it's the right policy. It was decided 50, 60 years ago. And as I said, the only thing I can comment is we have a crystal clear policy of ambiguity. Now, going back to both the uh, Mediterranean and one of Israel's fronts, Lebanon, um, recently, talks have started about uh, demarcating the maritime boundary. It has to do with uh, the uh, so-called Block 9, um, where uh, the energy uh, resources are in dispute. What is the state of play after the first round of the talks? Well, there were uh, three uh, meetings already in Nakura between uh, our delegation and the Lebanese delegation. I'm not very optimistic, I tell you honestly. Actually, there is a little dispute created in 2010, 10 years ago. Israel and Lebanon deposited, deposited their uh, maritime uh, uh, demarcation line. And there is some distance. It's the beginning. There is zero distance. And then after 20 or 30 kilometers, there are some gaps. The average gap is five or six kilometers. It's not a big dispute. It's a little and very long stretch triangle. For 10 years, this dispute caused some damage for us, even much more severe damage to the Lebanese, because we already enjoy the natural gas from the Mediterranean, from uh, Leviathan, from Tamar, and Karishtanin is under development. But we already reduced air pollution in Israel by 60% due to the discovery of natural gas and the replacement of coal and diesel with natural gas in our power stations all around the country. But the heated political discourse made up for it. There is a lot of pollution coming from politics. Uh, 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 maybe pollution from politics, but I can tell you, uh, uh, we are number one in the world in the uh, uh, speed of uh, reducing and terminating the use of coal and replacing it with natural gas and solar energy. Number one in the world. And this process, by this process, we already reduced 60% of the uh, pollution emission from 2025 so, power so stations around the country. So why not generous towards the Lebanese if we want to have a stake in their having a stake in keeping peace, in uh, knowing... So I, I tell you what is the status. So, so we already enjoyed the natural gas. We already got revenues, billions of dollars of revenues. Our GDP was growing rapidly 
because we don't have to import uh, coal or diesel or fuel. It's replaced by Israeli gas, so uh, the contribution to the GDP is even greater. And we are already exporting natural gas we, to Arab countries. We are exporting energy to Egypt and Jordan. This is amazing. It's, it would sound inconceivable 15 or 20 years ago that Israel will export energy to its Arab neighbors. Lebanon have got nothing so far. So we told ourselves we don't want to see Lebanon collapse. You know, you see the economic, the grave economic situation. If they are ready, let's sit and try to resolve it. Uh, this is a tiny uh, uh, dispute. Let's try to resolve it with American mediation. Uh, unfortunately, when we started to speak, the Lebanese came uh, with a, uh, a fantastic approach. Instead of arguing to what they already deposited in the UN 10 years ago, you know, and trying to shrink and to, to minimize the dispute and maybe to resolve it, they said, ah, now we want even more. And now we, 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 want, we, we are going beyond. This is ridiculous. This is the bazaar. This is the Middle East. I tell you what this is. Israel, uh, we have settled our maritime boundaries with all our neighbors, with Jordan in the Red Sea, with Egypt. We have no dispute about the exclusive economic zones, and both sides are giving license on, on the two sides of the line. And we have, a, with Cyprus, we have signed an agreement about the, only with Lebanon, it's still open. Take Lebanon. Lebanon have no agreement with, not just with Israel, with, no, with any of its neighbors. With Cyprus, they almost reached an agreement. But the last moment, they decided not to ratify it. With Syria, they have a dispute. With Israel, they have a dispute. So, so this, this, this approach is so destructive. You know, you are trying to claim for everything. In the end, you're left with nothing. Minister Steinitz, you're not optimistic on that, and we have only a moment. Uh, but we will give it a try. Only a minute see. left. Are you generally optimistic regarding Israel's security in 30 seconds? Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, there are always many problems and many threats, but Israel is getting stronger and stronger uh, uh, year after year, decade after decade. And, you know, the fact that now the, uh, uh, the cycle of peace being enlarged by the efforts of Prime Minister Netanyahu also to the Emirates, to Bahrain, to Sudan, other countries are waiting to join the normalization in the Middle East. We have created the Middle East Gas Forum. Uh, we have good relations with some of our members. Israel became a really a, 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 a significant high-tech and startup and innovation power in the world. This is very significant. The economy is strong or used to be strong before the coronavirus, and I'm confident it will be uh, remain strong after. Now it's, of course, On like Israel became a very strong country, and the region recognize it. And fortunately, unlike in the past, most countries in the region are now like to normalize ties and to cooperate with Israel rather than to reject it or to work against it. And even to cooperate with us against the Iranian threats. Energy Minister Dr. Yuval Steinitz, on the positive side, you have Gaz. On the negative side, Gaza. Thank you very much. I'm sure we'll have another opportunity to uh, have you as a guest on Watch Me Talk.
Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.